Welcome back to What's the Quarantine with your host, Taryn Carjay. Now, I don't know if y'all have noticed, but I am using an inside voice greeting for y'all because I have listened to our previous pods and I have no idea why none of y'all thought it was pertinent enough to let me know that I sound like someone trying to scream their way through a monkey's butthole. Anyway, no tea, no shade, in keeping it cute, I just want to take this opportunity to thank the brave folks out there on the front line, the healthcare workers, the essential workers, um, y'all are what keeps us going, y'all are doing the Lord's work, and I just want to let you know from our side at What's the Quarantine, we love y'all, we appreciate you, and just keep doing what you're doing. If this is the first time for you coming to, to the show, I want you to take a moment, if you like, to just give us a follow, give us a like, give us a share, subscribe, rate, and if you're feeling extra, extra generous, give us a review. That way we know what you're looking for, what you like, what you didn't like, where we can improve, because at the end of the day, we want to be able to give you the best experience possible. And in talking about best experiences, I'd like to take this opportunity to introduce today's guest, which is none other than our recently appointed resident friend of the show, Miss Marseille Romaru. Welcome to the show, Marseille. How are you doing? Hi, Taryn. I'm good and how are you? And thank you for having me. I am so happy to have you on with us today. I've been excited for a while because I love you like so much. I'm like a huge fan. Ex- <laughs> Girl, I'm excited too. You know that I love um, having conversations with you and I'm glad that we get to do it on here. And I hope that I'm going to be invited more often as a friend of the show. Of course, you, you know, know that's my dream. You know that like my dream in life is just to be like a friend of a show. Absolutely. And it's my job in life to make dreams come true. So I'm happy that I can. Thank you so much. Thank you. I look forward to that. I look forward to that. I will literally not miss all the opportunities I'm going to be given. And I will come in, show up and show out. Yes, honey. Take advantage. Okay. So. (laughs) We are discussing the Queer Film Festival uh, that you've curated together with your peers and your colleagues. Um, And basically, the QFFF is a celebration and a reflection on queer artists and activists' bodies of works, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And... Um, Yeah. yeah. QFFF, I mean, I I wanted to just say that um, it's like a good summary of what it is. Um, as a reflective space, as a celebratory space, because, and it, it specifically kind of hones into spaces and conversations that people don't necessarily center. You know, it's about movement building. So it's an interesting way of thinking of movement building and looking at tools that people use in their own space um, and try and share ideas on how to magnify them or use them in our own spaces. Right. So the title says the Queer Film Festival, but it's not necessarily film that you guys explore, right? Yeah, we do. It's called the Queer Feminist Film Festival. So the focus is on queer and feminist or queer feminist. 
Um, and we use film as one of the mediums. What it is actually is a cultural festival. Um, we mm -hmm. look at the different um, cultural and art forms that uh, queer people around the world engage in, whether it's film, and we've used mostly film, we've used, um, we've used uh, performance art, we've used fine art, which are the main types of, of art forms that we've looked at. We've also like been, we also bring discussion into the space. So we try to curate a holistic space that, that uh, acknowledges that people learn and people engage in very different way and not everybody um, is necessarily a reader. And not that we're discouraging readers, but everybody gets, you know, engages differently with the world. Some person might um, understand something cine cinematography or cinematography as something that's more impactful to them. Other people enjoy talking and, you know, sharing ideas through speaking and others might find a piece of art, you know, as intriguing. So we're also acknowledging that, that like learning comes in different ways and we can share ideas, we can share perspectives in different ways. I love that because as somebody who finds poetry, for example, very boring, which I find <laughs> is a medium that queer feminists love to use in a manner to bring across, you know, whatever. I, I love everybody, <laughs> but I cannot. <laughs> so I that cannot. I love everybody, but I can't. Look, the thing is, I enjoy poetry. If I'm reading it, I just cannot go leave my home, go and sit somewhere and listen to somebody reciting it. <laughs> I just can't. Absolutely not. I love you all, though. And invite me and I'll show up love. because I love you. Absolutely. Not because I really want to be. <laughs> yeah. tell our mutual friend, Kim Van Fuchel, all the time. Like, I love everything that they do i love everything <laughs> but i just can't I just you know? support you all the time yeah yeah i yeah. will show and i mean that's the point <laughs> yeah, and and, and, that and that's the point of future air also bringing the variety of things you know somebody else might be sitting there and say i love you all but the fact that i have to sit through a three-hour documentary is absolutely ridiculous to me that we talk to somebody you know right <laughs> so we give we give space for all of that and and also like also because future for if is a space that works within peri urban and rural spaces mostly peri urban in townships we have peri to what? That people, say that again peri urban peri urban suburban okay girl you know you you're not in the <laughs> space okay well i mean it's not necessarily an academic term it's a it's a it's a, it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a term that people have used to describe and it's used mostly in in the context of Africa to describe our townships or our semi-urban places. Okay, I've um, never heard of that. Yeah, I think it's maybe like because we such, urban. We, it's probably because we use such on-the-nose terms like squatter camps and townships and yes, yes, and yes, and the flats and, yes, and, the, flat and the stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's always like but, in your face. So this, we don't really know of these sort of flattering right. terms. So I, if you had to right. say, if you had to tell me peri-urban, I'd be like, well, what is this? Are we eating chicken? <laughs> what is happening here? <laughs> is it a kind of chicken? Is it a kind of spice? Well, I mean, it's a, it's a way, you know, like terms like squatter camps and stuff can be um, very uh, dehumanizing to some mm. level, you know? It's almost like you're chucking people away. Um, and also, why can't we have an association to some type of geographical identity, right? Like very mm. urban. And we, and we often just speak about uh, urban 
or the rural, but we also have communities of people who are stuck in between, not necessarily stuck, but exist in between the two, right? Mm -hmm. Whose identities, whose, whose experiences are very important. So having uh, and, and making words and uh, bringing up words like peri-urbanism acknowledgement that there are people who hold a particular identity that's not necessarily fronted very often and is not spoken of, but they exist, they're there. And they have experiences, right? And so we say the flats or like the township or like, and they're not bad words. The flats are not bad. They, or the township, they're not bad words. They're words that um, we, we, we identify with, but they also are very unique to us. That's mm. how we understand them, you know. Um, somewhere else where there are places that are like the flats that are like the township and people call them something different the ghettos the, the ghettos yeah yeah so i mean yeah so that's just basically how we describe our work to to be looking at and centering the experiences mostly of people who live in that in-between experience of the and urban is, and the rural right and this is why you guys you know, in collabor collaboration with um, the Bertha House, African Gender mm. Institute, Triangle Project, and Oxford. Everybody and their mama. Yes, <laughs> basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, for example, um, Bertha House is located in Kailicha, in the center of Kailicha. In Kailicha. And yeah. um, it was imperative for you guys to make sure that the festival is... Um, hosted in this location um why mm. is that um i think number one i mean for a number of reasons but the one key one is around centering and fronting particular types of experiences so for example the way that i understand the history of the bertha movie house was to create a a, a, a cinema in the township right that is a a, a space for congregating um, and for people to engage with film or cinematography with. Similar with QFFF, QFFF, the reason for, for choosing uh, the township or a space like Kailicha, a space like, and it could be in any township in South Africa, is also the recognition that like, when people convene film festivals and all these great uh, festivals, they don't necessarily understand the township as a space that is an important part to convene a meeting of that sort in. So, and especially in Cape Town, Cape Town, all of these nice things like film festivals, cultural festivals, honestly, barely end up in the township, right? Because those are things to, to the conveners, to people in Cape Town that are more, that should be accessible to a more of an affluent cluster or middle class. And for us, it's pushing back at that narrative that like, no, the township is an important place to be having conversations, to have joy, to, to have enjoyment. Um, secondly, is because for us, uh, the, the film festival is about centering the work of people who organize in spaces. I mean, the first, one of the first themes of the film festival was, or that we looked at was organizing in dangerous spaces or organizing that is dangerous, right? Um, and the way that we'd interpreted it is looking at the work of organizations, for example, like Free Gender, who organize, that's a, lesb, a black lesbian organization in Kailicha, organizes in Kailicha, uh, conscientizes people of Kailicha about um, lesbian identity and queer identities. 
but also have to deal with the other part of the potential of being killed because of their sexual identity uh, and the, the key driving factor of their work being the biggest threat to their lives, right? Um, and also spotlighting, centering that, celebrating that. And we can't do that. It doesn't sound right to do that at the VNA waterfront because that's not the experience. That's not the space. Um, and also the idea that that joy is, is important within the space of Kailicha where the people are organizing. Um, and also, I mean, I mean, it, that's, that's, the main, that's the main thing for us was around celebrating people who don't often be, get celebrated for their work, who do revolutionary work, and we do it in their space. We do it in their space, them, yeah. in their community. Right. Uh, we don't take it out. We don't think that, like, go and, and, and put it in another space where other people can enjoy or, like, bring in their voyeurist eye through and, and that's exactly what I was going to say now. Yes. It, it, yeah. It, it, it's it, that voyeuristic element that's coming through. Yeah. Once we take out, you know, what is um, yeah. sort of an identifier or a cultural identifier of a certain um, right. space. Right. Right. And I mean, with, with, with TFFF as well, it's, it's about convening that space with the folks who do it, right? Um, in honor of them, with them, and for them. Um, and, and also because it's, it's an acknowledgement that the uh, majority of us, the people who started, con who sit at the conveners, who, who thought up of this, this idea. I, for, for one, for example, am from the township. I was born, bred in the township. But in Cape Town, I have a very different experience to that. I don't live in the township. I might have an experience of the township because I've worked there, because I've got people who live there people that I love, people who I, 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 you know, casually spend time with in the township, live in the township, right? But that's not my central experience. And so it's important for me to consult and also get direction from the folks who have that experience. Another one of our conveners is born bred from the flats. Um, and I mean, doesn't live there now, but definitely has an experience of what it is. Another one of our conveners um, was born in a rural community in the Northern Cape, you know? We, 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 we all bring those kind of experiences, but also acknowledge that it's important to have the folks who are rooted in those experiences on a daily basis, right now, as things happen, to support the work um, and to drive it forward. And even, for example, with, when we convene particular sessions around it, if we're doing a session around sex work, we want sex workers to drive. Uh, or people who do sex work activist, activism um, or advocacy to drive that particular right. position. It's an acknowledgement that we, we don't hold knowledges. We don't, we're not like masters of all. Yeah, but what is the risk? Word, you know? Right, but what is the risk when you, when you don't um, have, for example, sex workers talking about or convening um, for sex work themselves? What, is, what, what are the risks involved when we do that? I think, I think the risk is actually getting it wrong, getting the narrative wrong. The intention might be great, but getting completely missing the kind of message that you need, that people need to, to be communicated. For example, I myself am, I'm, I, I, I'm pro-sex pro work, right? I'm pro-decriminalization. But that is, I don't have the intricate details as to why that's important. 
And so it's, it's a risk if I convene that space because I don't, I then take the message and communicate it from my particular perspective, which is not necessarily completely informed. And it can be informed, but it's not informed by lived experience. It's not informed by practice. And also might completely like distort the actual message, you know? So when, when and, and my intention could be good. It's good. We all have good intentions. But I think it's, it, it's important that those good intentions are also guided by folks who have the experience, folks who are doing the work, because then you communicate the, the message and you convene a space in the way that is respectful to people who do the work. In and not dehumanizing. That, right. That doesn't dehumanize them, right? That, that centers the dignity and the humility of the folks who do the work or who are involved in the work. Right. So, I mean, the, the, the risk, I, I know a lot of people, that's always a conversation. Folks are just like, yeah, I mean, you don't have to be something to do. And it's like, yes, on the one part, you're correct. But on the other part, this could come at the expense of the humanity of other people, right. um, of the folks who do this work on a daily basis at the expense of actually not allowing them to tell the stories that they tell on a daily basis, right? Yeah. On a bigger platform. And I feel um, like a, so yeah. a good example of that, we could probably draw um, a comparison of a good example is the way that the um, homeless folks are being dealt with currently um, right. by the Western Cape government, right? Right. Strandfontein, yeah. Strandfontein. You see, I mean, the, the, the problem is that, the problem is that, and it's on many levels, it's in the country currently during uh, the national lockdown where people are no longer able to earn a living. And because of they, they, um, they trade is because it's criminalized, because people don't think much of it, right? Then takes away the, the need for people to still provide, right? Mm-hmm. A big conversation right now is in the sex work community who can't, because of criminalization, cannot, um, cannot claim UIF. Women who are, who are casual traders cannot claim UIF, cannot claim any type of support. In the Stanfontein uh, uh, situation in particular, it shows two things in particular for me. The one is the way that we devalue the lives of people who are homeless. They mean nothing. We can deal with them however we wish. Mm-hmm. They, they don't need much. Even if you throw a dry piece of bread, something you would never eat. Um, right. And, the, and, the, and the, um, the justification for that is that, oh, when you have nothing, when you're poor, you know, you you'll take, take everything. Thrown at you. Right. And that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. I was in a I was in a Skype meeting yesterday where somebody was saying um, that we were doing like a reflection. It was a reflection of the president's speech and how people feel about it. And uh, somebody was basically came up and said, "Well, we welcome this um, the basic income grants that the president is giving to homeless to to unemployed people, but we we should also have a note on like create tell people to." say you know create the nuance around how people are going to spend the money if people are going to spend the money partying um if people are going to spend the money on drugs and for me that's problematic because number one it's none of their business how people try to spend money and Mm. number two we always want to 
control poor people. Mm. We always want to tell them how to spend money, what they're allowed to have, what they're not allowed to have. And that's not okay. I mean, it's, 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 um, I think it's, it's, it's a thing about marginality. The same way that like women, men think that they can think for women or the world thinks that we need to think for women is the same way that it's, it's this association from, from, uh, with, with like laziness with homeless people, for example, you're lazy, you don't want a job, you'd rather sit on the street, da, 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 which is also not true, right? Because we know that we live in a country where people can really get jobs where, yeah. and we don't know what people's circumstances are. And because people are asking for things, we think that we have the right to tell them how I to I think there's whole things. people with degrees and stuff who are homeless. Right? Absolutely. People who are so much more, um, if, if like qualifications are your thing, who are even more, who have more qualifications than you or who hold more knowledge than you. And somebody could literally be homeless because they left their home to come look for a job and it just doesn't work out. Mm. And that's why they're homeless, you know, or like they lost their family and that's why they're homeless. But because we are so obsessed with telling people how to live their lives and especially the homeless people, because we think nothing of them, they are almost inhuman to us it's like an infantilization right it's this yeah absolutely which for me is also a huge thing because like first of all even though like if we talk about infantilization we talk about children you know children shouldn't be controlled in the sense where we you know try to helicopter over them and you know Mm. Uh, make as if they don't have a destiny of their own or mm-hmm. um, you know a, a personality on their own that they need to explore right this, we treat the way generally how children are treated um people mm-hmm. with more power um tend to treat others with this children. yeah right you yeah. know like treat them like children yeah so, um, the middle class the rich or the so-called middle yeah. class, like we're all just mm. like a paycheck away from being on the street ourselves, right? <laughs> Girl, talk I that mean, talk. The tea. Talk that talk. This is the tea. And in fact, nobody in a few months, face. <laughs> in fact, in a few months, all of us are going to be if for, you know what? Because everything is tanking, the economy is on its knees, and most of our jobs, most of our companies, most of our organizations will not even be able to guarantee us a paycheck. Because I'm very interested to see what's going to happen. Because like, so it's like the, the back of us are going to find ourselves on our knees if we're not already crawling, if we're not already on our knees. Yeah. Right? For now... There, there's a nice few of us who are still able to hold on, who've been guaranteed things. But as the month goes, as the months go, um, we and and more and more, for example, more and more for some of us who work in spaces that are funded, um, because of the redirecting money into COVID nineteen relief, which is an absolute necessity, mm. an absolute necessity, we will find ourselves jobless, right? And it's not even like about a trade-off. It's not about a trade-off. It's, it's about the fact that we're finding ourselves in a global pandemic and we all kind of have to stretch this money. Yeah. And we money that isn't even there. there. <laughs> right. right. So in, 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 mm. in talking about this infantilization, you know, where people who have a, um, 
who are more marginalized than others, right? And, and right. have that um, perceived power over others. They treat people like they right. um, don't deserve to have a, a destiny of their own, if I can call mm. it that. Um, and we see that with men over women, um, mm. you know, uh, men and women over children, um, mm. you know, the, the, the cis over trans uh, gender folks. Um, you know, all of these mm. kind of different intersections mm. where we perceive right. uh, anything that isn't straight white male, um, right. we will, we will, and, and rich, we will try mm. to control that narrative. And I, and I, and it takes me back to what you were guys, what you guys were doing with the um, Q Triple F, when mm. it was so important to center these stories within the spaces of where mm. the artists come from. Right. Because right. Um, a lot of how, um, at least for us uh, living in the city or just outside of the city of Cape Town, um, we are privileged enough to go to all these like really beautiful spaces in the city mm. Um, mm. And, and be voyeurs to this wonderful um, cultural things that is essentially, you know, almost, it feels stolen from... Um, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of, um, people of color, um, or black mm-hmm. folks who, you know, have to, it takes so much for them to just try to come to the city and, you know, be, um, on a mm-hmm. platform where they can be seen because nobody's going to take note of them if they're doing their work in, mm-hmm. you know, Thailicha or, you know, or whatever, yeah. you know what I mean? So yeah. voyeurism, I love the fact that the, the voyeurism is taken away. Hmm. And the thing is, do you know what? The thing is, because your people have access, it's not completely taken away. Because the free, the folks who live in 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 camp in Camps Bay or VNA or even Arbs, you know, or Woodstock, are the same people who can just who have the access and are able to drive a good twenty minutes to go to Kailicha and still do the same things, right? Mm-hmm. But what the difference is that in this space, the folks in Kailicha or the folks in the community. Are the ones who, are not the ones who have to negotiate their own space. That's their space. You're the one who has to negotiate. You're the one who has to uh, um, feel like an outsider almost. Yeah, you. It's it's about it's about protecting space and also making sure that people, the people who hold the space, the people who organize in the space, are the ones who can also kind of dictate who comes in, what what kind of conversations are had, and the space belongs to them, right? Because I think, I think like people, black people, people of color from working class communities, from poor communities are often left to negotiate when they can access spaces mm. outside of the communities, are left constantly to negotiate, are left constantly to feeling like they can't take up space. Um, so then they have to, constantly negotiate and be aware of themselves and think before they speak and and right. and and that's but, what i but, mean by feeling like an outsider um, right sorry right to break the word and, me, but that's what it is like so when you yeah for example like i'm gonna be honest um you know i don't frequent um kailicha and gogs and mm. even the flats and stuff um mm. but when i do go i definitely feel like an outsider and so mm. the fact that i feel like that means that I, I i mean i can't even imagine what it feels like somebody who who mm. who's trying to find their feet their career 
um, mm. in a, in a white dominated space right. in the city. Right. Like yeah. it must be even tenfold, you know, when you're trying to, yeah. you know, you're trying to live, you're trying Absolutely. to eat, you're trying to get your future together. So, um, so I, I really, I really appreciate that you Absolutely. guys um, convened in, in, in the spaces where mm. artists are. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's, you know, like QFF is not a, a, like a very commercial kind of film festival that centers the artists that centers. QFF is, is a space, it's a knowledge sharing space, and that's how I like to explain it. It's a knowledge, it's, it's a knowledge sharing space because it's about all of us coming with our experiences, with our knowledges, and sharing with each other different perspectives different strategies, uh, different ideas, sharing what's worked for us, what hasn't worked, and brainstorming collectively ways that we can navigate the world, you know, um, which is very, I think, very different often in spaces that where there's a teacher and there's a taught. There's somebody who can teach and then there's somebody who's taught. Um, I think part of our, 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 ped- our pedagogy or the way that we teach is also kind of recognizing that like everybody's a teacher everybody brings a an idea everybody brings a perspective and everybody's idea and perspective is valuable you know um so that's that's the most important thing i think about it and look uh, acknowledging that qff is we've only had two qff and qff is the furthest thing from perfect you know this personally <laughs> and um we are such a, we, we, we are trial and error. You know, we are trial and error space and we're still trying to learn. We have a lot to learn and we've gotten so many, so many things wrong, so many things wrong. Um, but I think it's out of the acknowledgement that we've gotten so many things wrong that we ask people to join with us and we ask them to help us get it right where we can. Right. You know? and, and that's um, important because like you can't, mm. I feel like when people come into feminist spaces, they expect things to be perfect already. Right. No, I mean, we were, I mean, and, and, and I think to some point I understand it and I think if folks, it's a basic thing of people holding you accountable for your politics um it's a basic i think it's it's about when you claim a political you claim identity people will hold you accountable for it i think that in the way that we organize we don't kind of we think because people claim an identity they kind of have it all figured out which is not the truth you know um i mean i am a raging feminist you know, everybody who knows me knows. But I'm also a raging, problematic feminist who has blind spots, who needs to learn, who needs to change particular things, who will get things wrong. And right. maybe the problem also started with us kind of creating an exceptionalist idea of who's a feminist and who isn't. And what I don't, mean, and, and I want to say that. that. I, we, we all, we, I mean, there was a period which I think is important we all created the perfect feminist, this, the one who doesn't get anything wrong and who gets everything right and knows, is, is PC, knows all the terminology, has all the ideas, da 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 da, da right? And mm-hmm. that's what it meant to be feminist. And so because of that, 
we you created this very exceptionalist mold of what a feminist should be like and anybody who fell outside of that um you know kind of fell short of the glory of feminism <laughs> um and i think for a period it was necessary not okay necessary are you perhaps talking about I, sorry are you perhaps talking about the period around fismas fall i think that there was a period whether it was I think these must fall, roads must fall are moments, but they are moments in a time. And that time, I'm talking about that time, because there are so many things happening globally True. that required us all to like push back in very particular ways, push back through communities of people who identified, who understood themselves in particular ways, push back through a particular unified language. And it was important because I think we had all found ourselves with our backs against the wall mm. and we needed to collectively push back and say no, right? But as the years go and our message becomes more, um, you know, it lands a lot more. We realize that actually particular behaviors, particular ideas are problematic for particular reasons. Let me use a very common one that we all have in conversation about is cancel culture. I really think that cancel culture was useful at a particular point, right? I believe it so was too. I was a strong proponent of cancel culture. I was a strong proponent <laughs> of cancel culture. But because we were stuck in spaces with people who were just, because freedom of speech, you know, when people say freedom of speech, then it's like you can't say anything to them. Or it's my opinion. And mm -hmm. it's like, no, just because it's your opinion doesn't mean it's right. You know? My favorite or, line would be, be mm -hmm. right. My favorite, my favorite line with the um, opinion thing is the one from James um, Baldwin, where he mm -hmm. says like something about like, yeah, you can have your opinion, but if your opinion is rooted. Yes, it's against my humanity. Yes. Right. Yes. If, it's re if it's rooted in um, my, uh, the dehumanizing of me or something like that then yeah it's bullshit mm. which is yes. like i'm paraphrasing <laughs> that's essentially no, no. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah no absolutely um and so i mean i mean we've seen these types of moments in different times um we see it with the one and nine campaign with the when they came up with the corrective rate term right which the intention was basically to have to have a conversation around rape perpetrated specifically against lesbian women or women who were in relationships, both sexual and romantic relationships with women, right? And that was the intention of a corrective rape. In later years, people start to have a different conversation about why are we exceptionalizing a rape against queer people right. or rape against lesbian women as collective? Why does it have a separate name? And like, like in that time, there was a time where that kind of conversation was needed. And how did they have that conversation? By creating a term around it, by naming it, right? In later years, that name became irrelevant mm. because um, the message had landed and people realized that like rape is rape, but mm -hmm. rape looks differently. And people perpetrate rape for different reasons, right? Mm. For the, for the, in this case, for the, with the idea of corrective or mm -hmm. correcting rather um, with the idea of exercising power against people for a particular reason. Now we know 
That's what rape is about. It's about access and exercising power, but it also can be rooted in a particular reason. In this instance, because you think somebody deserves to be corrected because of their sexuality right, or because right. you're trying to show somebody that you're a bigger man than them or whatever the, the fuck. I'm sorry. Can I say? Yes. Go ahead. Oh, <laughs> we are feminists after all. I've been censoring myself. We're all bitches and Whatever the fuck people, you know. So, 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 like, if that period happened, um, and so I think we all, we've, we now in a different space, in a different, still in the same time, but in a different space in that time, in a different moment. And I think we're all acknowledging the importance of, of also holding people in with all their flaws, but with the condition that people are committed to change and committed to thinking differently and committed to doing work, right? That is the that is like kind of the work that we're doing, and so I mean, with us, we also are, you know, being. We're not vic- no, not victim is not the right word. We're also like a product of people saying, "You are calling yourself a feminist organization. You're saying this. You, well, feminist movement, film festival, or queer film festival, but you're missing these elements, and that is absolutely welcome." Um, but I think for us, what we our big ask is that you journey with us, you you help us get to that to that space. Yeah, because it we is get ourselves. Sorry, yeah, we we we've created a space that that speaks to us in the ways that we need it to speak to us. You know. Yeah, because it it's easy to um, you know point fingers and and say we people are going wrong. Um, mm-hmm. without really understanding the work that goes on behind the scenes. And so, uh-huh. like, that's why it's so important that you have so many mm-hmm. um, collaborative um, yeah. organizations with you so that you guys can all hold each other accountable, right? And, mm-hmm. of course, the community mm-hmm. plays a huge factor in that uh, because Absolutely. these are the folks that you want to draw in, right? And these are the Absolutely. people that you are serving. So, um, So I think, like, all in all, from what I've seen, um, you know, despite my first initial um, experience with you guys, I think overall it's been um, it's been an interesting journey for you. But it's also mm. up to see organizations that learn from um, I don't want to say mistakes, but like um, and they, I mean it's okay that they are mistakes. I think we can call them mistakes, you know, or like shortcomings. Mm. So yeah. something that I, think I okay well yeah I mean yeah so so it's interesting I mean it's 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 beautiful to see um, an organization grow but um, you know from correcting the the issues but something that I picked up when I went to the mm-hmm. um, to the festival mm-hmm. was um, a lot of what I would say was a bit of performative wokeness, right? Uh, uh. And this is huge within our um, feminist communities. Uh. And I don't know, like, I mean, it's not something that you can like, you, you, it's not like you can like police people and be like, hey, you being performative, <laughs> you know, fuck off out of our yeah. festival. You know, you can't do that. Um, mm. but I don't know. How do you actually tackle performative wokeness? 
I don't, I mean, so, I mean, my question would be, what do we describe or what do we understand as forms of wokeness? So I knew um, you were going to ask that. And so I have an answer <laughs> prepared for you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so an example yeah. would be, and this is like obviously very low hanging fruit, but mm. an example would be say um, straight white males who only hang out, um, you know, with queer or um, people of color or both uh, queer people of color. Um, mm. And the whole deal is just to sort of, you know, tell white people off to mm, appear mm. as though they are these they like allies, they're radicals. Right. Yeah. But then they still like sort of live in the lap of luxury. They yeah. don't really make any changes in their lives. Mm. Um they don't maybe I don't know. I hear you though. I hear you. Look, I mean, do you know what? I think that, and I'm just in, in reference, I'm going to answer this question in two parts. The first is around the idea of performativeness. I think that everything that a lot of us largely do is performative. The, the act of having a film festival with the politics that it has and of convening a space like that is performative. And performativity is not, is not, always a negative thing because performativity means that we actively are trying to work through or create convened spaces that trans the kind of that kind of ideas energies movements that we want uh spaces that we want to convene so even like a two-day festival that centers queer and feminist work da, 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 that in itself is like peak performativity and it's not necessarily a negative performativity because the point is to model convener space for conversations where the real work of, 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 of movement building and accountability can kind of happen. And the other part around having an individual performativity of people who are kind of capitalizing on the identities of the people that surround them to gain some, to gain some type of clout, but without having to deal with work to do the actual work. I think the problem for me, and it's not a problem, I think what it needs to happen is that it has to happen with the individuals who are with this person. So how do we weed out that type of behavior in our own communities, right? In our own spaces. For me, that is something that I'm very particular with um, about ensuring that we don't and, and, and maybe just backtracking a little bit, how do we deal with that in a space like QWF? I think it's important for us to be very strict and that's what we're trying to do. Not strict, but very clear about who the space is for and who's allowed to speak, right? Because that is a very easy space where somebody who, who displays that deep level of perform performativity will use as a tool or an opportunity to stand up and just say how, how what a big ally they are and how mm. they love queer people Centering and they themselves. always want to show them. Yes. And they center themselves. And so we do active work and we say, look, we're really not interested in an ally's voice. It's cute. You can come in, you can come enjoy the space, but that's not, this space is not for you. This space is not for you to speak about yourself. This space is for the people 
who need to have conversations or who need to be celebrated or who need to ask questions about their own community. And that's what QFF is. We make space for people who consider themselves allies, da 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 da, but our priority is not an ally. Our priority is the queer person who needs to connect with other queer people, who needs to have conversations with other queer people, who must get or who has to see cinematography or work from a Cece McDonald, for example, who is a trans black woman in the US who's navigated the prison system there and who's been in prison for, you know, for a murder case. But that was self-defense for defending herself mm. and for ensuring for 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 defending her right to life because right. somebody was taunting her because she's black because she's a trans woman you know um and for us it's about convening a space then that space becomes about number one trans solidarity from from a queer perspective and also movement building for in for trans people for example or in a trans space right how people do that is up to them but it's about creating the space for it to happen um and i think that's for us that's the clarity that like we're not really and and i mean the third part is the education part for the people who need to learn about this right. and the people who need to learn are the ones that will say then, then you have space in here but your space is not to say to yourself your own politics, your insecurities, blah, blah, blah. You do that with the people who have the space to do that for you. But right. this is not for the space for it to, to spill over. But in the personal sense, I think it's, that's a lot of individual work. That's a lot of individual work. I, I think it's hard to call it out because, you know, somebody, if I had a white friend, a white heterosexual friend. I don't have any of those, by the way. Um, <laughs> so I'll have to do a lot of dreaming about this scenario. <laughs> um, who, you know, would leverage out of my identity. I think I would have to do a lot of individual work to say, this is not it. And this is not the kind of friendship that I'm trying to build. Mm. Um, because, because not only is it at the expense of that whether they are a black queer person, whatever, it's also at the expense of the community of people who live in there, um, who who exist with the same identity, who have the similar experience, you know. Mm. So yeah, I'm very clear about it in my and you know that I don't have a problem calling people in my community in in my co- particular community, my friends, my mm. people that I surround myself with, you know. Mm. I don't have a problem with that. Um, in fact, that's kind of how I build my community, how I build my friendship. Right. And yeah, I love that. Sorry? I love that. I was saying that I love yeah. that about I, our I, I think where we can hold yeah. each other accountable. In accountable, gentle, absolutely. But in gentle ways. It doesn't have to be right. um, messy. Or, and, um, yeah. yeah. And make a whole like scene about it or create freaking mm. court groups on Facebook and shit like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you're being messy please okay. you're being messy please <laughs> so I, yeah but yes <laughs> i guess i should have asked you this in the beginning but i mean there's so much to get through and we already almost an hour in but like what was actually the catalyst for you guys to all come together and start this you know what it really if I, I know now two years down the line, it doesn't even sound believable, but it was like, um, I'm, I'm co-convener. I'm a third of, one third of a convening 
group or a convening team. Uh, I co-convened with two other women. Um, the one uh, woman, Elizabeth Engelbrecht, uh, who is works at Triangle Project, and then the third person. So, so how the structure of of, of um, who is uh, the third person? What, so the third person is Zena Scullitz. I wanted to explain the structure of um, of um, QFFF. So it's 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 sitting at conveners of QFFF. It's myself. Um, it's um, Elspeth Engelbrecht. It's Zena Scullitz. Um, and then so then we have another structure called convening team. And what the convening team is basically on an annual basis, we reach out to about 10 uh, individuals. We start with individuals where the organizations want to come in. Let me say individuals and organizations and say, we would like you to come and walk with us or walk the path of convening this year's QFFF with us. You know, because we're just, we don't hold the vast experiences that we'd like in QFFF. What we do as a convening team is just saying that like we're the three people or rather the two of us. One day Elspeth and I met and said, hey, we should like get together five people and watch a screening on like Winnie, right? Is that and how it started? It's literally how it started. We should like try and get like, oh, there can be like 10 of us in the room. Let's just go watch Winnie. Um, and then at the time, Zena was working on the Booza project at... Um, um, at uh, Oxfam, South Africa. And so we said to her, she was in a meeting with Elspeth and we said, look, we're trying to convene like a group of people just to watch films and stuff. And so she was like, dope, let's do it. And then it kind of like weirdly started to grow out of nowhere, like a serious like planning, convening, should we get 10 people to get in the room to kind of maybe let's put together a three or four films okay, cool, let's get like 10 people who can help us put together these three or four films. And at the end of this process, it ended up in a, as a film festival. <laughs> I love it. Because we, we wanted to kind of like do it regularly, but also mm. like bring, have a space for like queer creators who are filmmakers, but also queer creators who are uh, fine artists. So because we realized that the bulk of, the the art and cultural stuff within the queer community rarely reaches our townships mm. or rural areas, right? Mm. So we need to make space for it because then I would be like, oh my God, I went to see an amazing play by Konishwa James and I would love it to see in a community of people. And we realized how much we wanted to do things in community, how mm. many times we wanted to watch something in community because we've watched it alone and we'd, rather, we'd really like to ask someone else, so what did you think of that? Mm. Or rather, like, have a soundboard, have somebody else help us process our emotions, our ideas around that. And so this is how it came to it. And so from 2017, every year we convene a, ten, a group of 10 people to help us. Uh, for the past two years, we've been getting new groups every year. But we thought that for the, for the coming year, for this year, from this year on, we've decided to uh, maybe think through the idea of having people stay in the convening team for two years, just for the sake of um, kind of, for lack of a better word, organizational memory and having folks being able to 
implement the things that they learned the first time around, you know, mm. like comfortably and we see it act in live in action because I think a lot of us are kind of just figuring it out. I've been doing it for like, um, this is my third year and we're still figuring it out. You know, the three of us mm. have been doing it for like three years and we're still figuring it out. I, I mean, would love not- to step back a little bit this year though, um, which is my plan, but right. yeah. But I mean, it sounds a lot like how startups are, right? I mean, every mm. year is, um, everything is always changing. There's always new things to learn and there's, um, it doesn't stop. You don't stop. And I, I feel like when you, when, you, when you create something, anything mm. of this nature, it's always going mm. to be like that. Um, but you can correct me if I'm wrong. Like, I feel like a lot of this, has your sort of flavor behind it in terms of mine? Yes, <laughs> in terms of like you know, because you are an arts and culture fan, if I can like put it mildly. Yeah, I really. Yeah, I do love the arts. I love art. Um, I don't necessarily have. I don't think it has a lot of my flavor. I think it's a coming of mind. I think a lot of us really enjoy the arts in very particular ways and uh, we happen to be super critical minds about it but we we like to engage you know uh but i am personally a very big fan of art of both uh, performance and fine art um i'm a fan of like film um and documentaries in particular and i i love them as an interesting way of communicating Mm. um because I also, I, I'm quite aware, and this is for, especially for me, I'm quite aware that, like, for example, the community that I grew up in, you know, or communities very similar to mine, they're also very high illiteracy rates. And so it's beautiful ways of communicating with people mm-hmm. without having to ask them to read a book or, or, or. And I, 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 I'm, I keep saying this not because I'm, I don't, I think it's important people read. I'm a reader. But I also think that it's important that we also engage people in other ways. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? Because different things land with different people. And people don't necessarily know how to read, not because they don't want to, but because somebody might have a learning disability, somebody might have struggling. And that doesn't mean just because somebody can't read something from, from a magazine, from a paper, that they shouldn't be engaged on it. You know? Absolutely. It's about meeting people within very diverse ways and meeting people where they are um right and And one of those ways oh sorry no 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 oh you're done (laughs) (laughs) sorry yep um no but i i was saying i was thinking like one of those ways that you have done that is that like after a screening of a film um you have a, a a small fireside with the folks in the theater room Mm. Um, to discuss their feelings of, yeah um you know what they just watched and um yeah i want to discuss like because yeah. i was obviously there when something went down um and i right you know which incident i'm talking about Yes, absolutely, okay. I do. <laughs> All right, and so um, <laughs> that was quite a, a tricky situation. Um, mm-hmm. And without going into a lot of detail, 
um, mm. it, it caused um, a little bit of whatever we were discussing around that, you know, someone from the audience had spoken to me and had triggered me on, you know, right. that I wasn't really ever expecting to touch on for mm. that evening. And so um, right, right. You know, I wanted to know what was going through your guys' minds as um, the conveners of that um, fireside. When something tricky happens, where somebody gets triggered and they have to go out of the room and deal with whatever emotional upheaval is going on, like what's going through your mind during that process? Mm -hmm. mm. Look, honey, we are no stranger to to these difficult situations. You know, I mean, last year, Future for F was fairly less confrontational, fairly less triggers. I mean, for for the spaces, I think we, we definitely were a little bit more equipped to deal uh, last year than we were the year before. So the year, the last year, we, the year before, was an absolute mess. Uh, there was a big issue around like transphobia, people standing up and saying the most outrageous transphobic and trans antagonistic thing, outing people, all oh, of that, shit. right? Wow. And, it, and it's a hard thing to deal with uh, when you're in that space. But it's also, it also is about being accountable for not holding space or being accountable for your space in the way that you need to be. That's, I think, the big lesson about us having to be accountable for our space 100%. Um, and so in that moment for us, it was another space. It was another lesson about being accountable for space um, and being accountable for the space that we've put, we've put together. And I think it's hard because it's, it's a lesson constantly about, like, we, we always need to go back and say, how could we have dealt with that, that moment better? What is the one thing that we could have done better? Or what did we forget? Or what could we have done differently? But before we do that, it's about caring for that individual who's sitting there and now has come for a film festival to watch a film and all of a sudden is forced to grapple with all these emotions and feelings and triggers and stuff. Um, and I think that incident did happen in the evening. So the person who was holding the space for us because we had people who were doing psychosocial support were not there. So we needed to hold it. We needed to hold it. And I, I mean, I think it's about also for us holding it in the best way possible um, and making sure that the person who's most affected is engaged, is supported in the ways that they do. But also go back and talk about it as a collective. Go back and get feedback. I mean, people, you'd be surprised how many people volunteer feedback. Mm. People will come back and say, you did good in that, or you needed to do better in that. And we get that, you know. Um, and then go back for ourselves and say, you know, we needed to deal with that better in that sense, you know. And being accountable. At the end of the day, whatever we do, the biggest lesson is that we need to be accountable for our space. Have you if, ever had a situation where, mm, you know, any one of your conveners or the convening, convening organizers or convening teams, you know, had maybe been called out and or called in, um, mm. where they maybe didn't take the feedback um, very well or that mm. they couldn't maybe see how they 
um, could have handled the situation differently. Do you guys have any issues like that? Or is it all wonderful, perfect feminist shit all the time? No, <laughs> it actually isn't. It, it isn't. Do you know what? I think on the most part, most of the time when we sit down and we talk to each other, um, and maybe it's about the time when things happen, um, folks are receptive. It's hard. It's a difficult conversation. They are difficult conversations, but be receptive. Very few times, not even very few times, sometimes it's argumentative. Because we're all defensive people. And mm-hmm. somebody says, but I did it, did it. Let me tell you about myself. I am horrible when I'm under pressure and I'm working. I'm horrible. <laughs> I'm a horror. I snap at people. I look at people's snacks. I don't listen to people. I walk away. I'm that type of person. I'm very, when I'm deep in my mind, and that's the thing, when I get busy, I retreat deep in my mind. And so the only thing that matters is the to-do list in my mind, Mm. right? And if somebody like, literally you could be standing and talking to me and I would be looking at you in your eyes with the blankest eyes because I'm deep in my mind, right? Mm. And so I find myself in instances where people have said, and then I'm also the same person to bitch about nobody's helping me. (laughs) (laughs) Even though when people say, what can I help you with? Instead of like pausing and getting away from that to do this in my mind and saying, I need you to take this on. I say, I'm busy. Right. Right. Um, And then in that moment, after when I come and bitch and say, nobody helps me and people hold me accountable and say, I asked you three times if you need help with something. I'm so quick to get defensive and say, but, 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 instead of actually just being like, wait, you did ask me. Mm. And that was a moment for me to say this to you, right? It's the same with, even if we get, um, even when people from, from the audience members or the attendees come and speak to us about a convening team person or an intern, right? We want to hold that space and we tell them. And sometimes it's that, but, 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 but. But at the end of the day, people become receptive. Mm. Um, but it's, it's, it's a constant negotiation because you are working with people mm. at the end of the day, you know. And so it's never perfect. It's hard. It's human. It's nasty. It's sometimes massive, pissed off as fuck. Yeah. Because she's tired and she's overworked, but she's refused help like six times in a day. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Or like whatever. Um, so I there's a lot like, of that. Yeah, I feel like in in a feminist space, it's even harder because there's so much accountability mm. and reflection that makes right. in a lot of other sort of spaces you don't necessarily have to confront um, mm. with yourself or with others. Um, and That's so funny. it feels like it may be harder, but actually. It, it makes it easier in the long run. Yeah, I think it, the, hard is, is, the hard part is showing up and being part of that process of accountability. Mm. I think it's hard sometimes to, to have to confront that even in, when, you think, when you thought you were going to come hold people accountable, but you're the one who needs to account at the end of the day. <laughs> that weird space that sometimes we find ourselves in, that you come in and you sort... I'm the one holding accountable today, bitches. 
Mm. And at the end of the day, having to deal with actually the accountability has to come from you because oftentimes people are only responsive to what you're doing in that moment, you know. Mm. Um, but I think because the work that we do more recently or right now is more rooted in kindness and in love, mm. it makes it easy to actually say, yo, I fucked up. It's a hard thing Gender, to just say, okay, I fucked up, mm. you know. But there's space for that. I, I love that. I love I love yeah. that about about these spaces. And so yeah. in closing, I just want to find out how mm-hmm. you feel um the queer feminist film festival um has made an impact, you know, or if you yeah. reached your goals, um whatever they may be for impact. Um what's mm. what's what are your thoughts around that? You know what? I think in a very like loose and superficial way, I think we have reached our a very basic goal, which is have a space for young black queer township rural people to convene and talk to each other. Have a space where young black queer township working class people do not have to and feminists do not have to negotiate. They have to, they, they don't have to negotiate their space. Absolutely, there's always negotiation and compromise in everything, even in our own spaces, but in a space that we can own. Mm. And I think that for me, in the next coming years, I would love for us to build around having people being able to own future wave a lot more as their own. And what does that um, look like? You know what? I actually don't know, to be honest. I think one part of it is, is having, giving people the opportunity to come in and convene but, and, and bring their own ideas. But that's one element of it. The other element is even me as Marse, because I also, I've got to think about staying in places for too long and also centralizing power. I want to be able to enter Kitchable F in five years' time as Marseille, just not as a convener, not as a person who's holding the space in any way, but also still be able to own this process as my own, be able to say, I'm very glad. And what we tried to do since last year, and we were hoping to do a lot more of that this year, but our girl, Kobe, honey, <laughs> has showed us. Ain't nobody doing nothing. Ms. Rona was Kobe not having anything. Honey. This girl was like, no, I think the fuck not. <laughs> so we were hoping, we were, um, what we wanted to do is have these community, and community outreach is a strange word for me, but community dialogues and spaces where people get to kind of reflect on the, the previous festival and kind of give input for the upcoming festivals, right? Mm. And that input being seriously taken in to how we convene. Um, last year we did that and we got some very positive reviews for some people who showed up there who did feel like, whoa, I, I, I did feel like I had, I, we had this conversation and I can see it come through in the way that things were happening this year. But I also, the point is that somebody just doesn't show up for that. The point is that eventually the person who's sitting there and giving this idea has space to come and put it together themselves right because they hold a vision and they see a space for it 
um, to come in and do it and show us how it needs to be done. Because like I said, we all like going out on a limb here most of the time because our organizers is, a very, is very particular. And it's interesting because we're delving in a space that we need to curate differently and that needs to be responsive to our needs, a film festival. Um, just, just, just sharing, when we are applying for funding for, from film festival bodies especially, the things that they ask us, we are like, what? Huh? We don't do this. Like, you understand what I'm saying? So it's a new stream that we kind of like reclaiming and reworking to kind of suit what we need from mm. it. And we need collective work around that. Um, but how the rest of it will look, I don't know. And I'm hoping that the folks who come into the space are able to give us an idea and inform that. You know, right. I mean, none of us know how anything's going to look in the future yes. or anything right. set up, right? So it's going to be right. interesting to see how um, QFFF navigates the space. And um, I'm looking Ooh. forward to it. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it because you guys yeah. have interesting um, films. You had some interesting performance art. Um, mm. And it got like very lit in terms of uh, <laughs> the messiness and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always like messy, honey. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the thing is these processes they are they are. I would. I mean, I don't know if we'll ever see one that doesn't get messy. That mm. doesn't, you know. Honestly, what is a feminist space without mess? Because feminism is messy, honey. <laughs> feminism is messy. This is why we like this girl, too. Because she's a mess. A mess. Just like us, you know. Oh, I'm obsessed. So, I'm obsessed. Yeah. So, but she's a mess just like us, and we love her, though. Yeah. So I'm very yeah. keen to see what's coming for QFFF. And I just want to say yeah. thank you so much to you and your peers and your colleagues. Um, thank you for giving me a space up. to speak about it. Thank you for giving me a space to speak about it, you know. Um, because I, I think uh, it's, 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 it's always interesting speaking about the experience because I think it's all in my head or it's all in the heads of the people who put it together. But speaking about it gives you a little bit of perspective and clarity um, about where we are, what we start, and where we need to go. Right. And I mean, I don't feel like this conversation is over because there's so much no. to talk about. Um, no, there's still a lot to talk about. Yeah. yeah, but we can always tackle that in another session. But I just want to say mm-hmm. thank you so much for um, coming out during the lockdown period. Not that you had anything else to do, but thank Girl, you. I'm busy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm busy. Don't have me sounding like I'm got <laughs> but thank you for having me I'm excited that this is something that I got to do in this awesome, time babe. like I said um, I'm here to make dreams come true yes thank <laughs> you now I've got something to put in my scrapbook one more thing I love it on my vision board but yeah I'm, I'm grateful we're thinking through about this year I mean we don't we all don't know what Coco V has in store for us, but it's supposed to be in September. Um but we'll see. We'll see. We'll maybe see. maybe all of us in day six hundred and eighty eight of uh, 
<laughs> lockdown. Uh, lockdown will have a virtual QFF. I, I don't mind that at all. I guess the only problem yeah. with that is obviously accessibility. Um, yeah. So that, I don't know how that definitely think be. something that we'd have to think. But is that impossible? Is that impossible? You know, we'll just have to think around. Did you just yawn out. while you were like literally on the show? <laughs> I took a deep breath. I took a deep breath. <laughs> I took a deep breath. I absolutely took a deep breath. All right. Well, Masay, thank you so thank much. Thank you so much. Everybody, that was Masay Romaru, co-convener of the uh, yes. Queer Feminist Film Festival um, happening every year. We're not sure whether it's happening this year, but we definitely yeah. hope so. And yeah, I just want to say thank you again, and I will chat to you soon. Thank you so much for having me. No worries, Annie. Bye-bye. Bye.